You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. How's it going? Hey, what's up? Just the two of us, as uh, Al Green once said. Was that <laughs> Al Green who did that song? I don't know. I am not sure. Someone will, well, I'm sure. I'll tell you who it wasn't. Al Harrison. Yes. And he's also not here. <laughs> yeah, Al is off at an MCQ in London at the moment. Uh, he did send a message. And this is, he sent this before actually going to the tournament. So he's now in the tournament and I think... Last we heard, he was oh no, sorry, one one two was his record. So he was uh, dead for top eight, but live for top sixteen, which gives some other kind of prize. Um, but uh, yeah, he 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 left a, a a voice message on my phone about his preparation for the event. So I'll stick that in at the end of the show as our extra turns. Very good. You were out last week at Electric Picnic. How did it treat you? Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. It was it was actually so much fun. Yeah, kind of short notice, I got offered a a, a free ticket to go down from a friend of the show, Maraid at twenty thousand tiny jars on Twitter. Very good Twitterer, and uh, yeah, I, I of course decided to take the opportunity. So it's kind of a bummer because I missed recording the show, and I also missed Celtic Throwdown, which is the uh, the big fighting game event of the year that was on, and uh, it was by far the biggest fighting game event Ireland's ever had this year. They had. I think 550 participants for different tournaments or something like that over the course of the weekend. Um, and they had a bunch of Japanese players, a bunch of American top players, Europeans. So I was looking at the results. At, when I was at Electric Picnic, I was looking at the results of the tournaments and it was just unreal. There were like, you know, six different top Japanese players that I'd love to meet uh, in top eight and stuff like that. So it was kind of, it was an annoying weekend for clashing with stuff. But yeah, of course, Electric Picnic was still really fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's a shame that you had to miss that one. But yeah, at least you... Had a bit of fun. Yeah, those Japanese players get a get a year of reprieve before I destroy the ball at Street Fighter. <laughs> All right, fair enough. You're confident in your abilities. Yep, haven't played in uh, in about a year, but since the last Celtic Throwdown, but I'm confident I can take them out. Maybe uh, Street Fighter Six will be out by then. Yeah, hopefully so. All right. Well, this week we have a fair bit of news to talk about, uh, mostly in the way of new cards. So previews for. Throne of Eldraine have officially begun, I guess. Actually, they kind of haven't officially begun, just a lot of them came out anyway. Um, Wizards seem to have gone back to announcement day because they had a stream in which they announced loads of stuff, but they just didn't call it announcement day. So I don't know. Mm. But the... Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Was there, there was some kind of leak as well, right? So that probably pushed them forward a little bit. Was there a leak? Uh... I, I heard that like the Arena update had a bunch of Throne of Eldraine cards uh, Eldraine cards in the um, in the files or whatever, and people found them out or something. Was is that not correct? Uh, I mean that yeah, that is correct. I don't, but I think that was because like people would have found them out straight away anyway. Because the reason that that was there was because of the brawl event that is on Arena right now, where you can play. Oh, gotcha. The pre-made brawl decks. So um, I think that's the reason why. Yeah, fair enough. I haven't played that yet. I must play it. The, the, the upside is we get all these cool cards to talk about. Mm, definitely. So we'll do it in kind of our usual way where we maybe won't talk about everything, but we'll just talk about the ones that are interesting to us and 
uh, like maybe like some like noteworthy mythics that are almost definitely going to see play. Um, maybe I'll I'll just talk about the mechanics a little bit first. We have three main mechanics. The first one that is the storybook frame that we saw spoiled a long time ago with no text for the card uh, Flaxen Intruder is uh, the the mechanic is called Adventure. So we were all kind of going crazy, theorizing on what this could be for like a day and a half as soon as we found out what it was called or um, a little bit about it. And then, you know, eventually we just found out. But it's uh, it's like a weird mix of, of split card and kicker, I guess. Um, so the way it works is that you can just cast the card as normal. So I'll, I'll, I'll read a card as an example. Uh, got Lovestruck Beast. It's two and a green for a 5-5 five, five Beast Noble, Creature Beast Noble. Uh, and it says... Low struck beast can attack unless you control a 1-1 creature. So it can still block, just can attack. And then the adventure is a sorcery with the subtype adventure called Heart's Desire for a single green. And it says create a 1-1 white human creature token. So the way you do it is you can either cast the creature straight up for its casting cost and then nothing else happens. You just get the base creature. Or you can choose to cast the adventure, which is either a sorcery or an instant. And when you do that, when it resolves, the card will be put into exile. And if the card is in exile from being cast as an adventure, you can then cast the creature after that. And anytime after that for the rest of the game, as long as, you know, paying attention to timing restrictions and things like that. So if you want both halves, you have to cast the adventure part first. What's your thoughts on this mechanic? I know both you and I weren't super high on it. I th- I've kind of come around. I think the... The play patterns will be more interesting than I thought at first, but... Yeah, I think it's like... I think they have to strike a balance where, you know, it is actually an interesting decision which side you cast most of the time, where... It, and it looks like they've they've kind of done that by making one side, like, kind of overcasted and one side more in line with, you know, what you would expect to pay. I think that's kind of the, the idea they're going for. Um... Yeah, like Lovestruck Beast is kind of an interesting design. Like I think like most of them like a lot of like control decks might not mind just playing a three mana five five, as you said, that can still block, you know. So there might there might be some decks that aren't even that invested in playing the adventure half before they play the creature. But like for example, in Flaxen Intruder, like I know this is an uncommon, it's not a rare or anything, but like neither side of this card is particularly interesting to me. So this is the, the adventure is welcome home, five green green for a sorcery, create three two two bears. Uh, and then it goes on an adventure. And then the Flaxen Intruder, the nor- the normal half, is a 1-2 human berserker for green. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it when you do destroy target artifact or enchantment. So like neither of those cards are something I'd be that interested in playing, but you would certainly want more access to the adventure half, I think, than the um, than the normal half, if you get me. Yeah, I do see your point, but I guess... Like basically, with all of these cards, you always want to cast the adventure first, right? Because that's that's how you get the maximum value from the card is casting the adventure first and then casting the actual creature. Yeah, but like if you take that one, Flaxen Intruder, by the time you have seven mana, you can make three bears, which isn't that impactful. And then if you've already done that, how likely are you to get through with a one-two in combat to destroy something? It's like seems very unlikely to me. Maybe that card just isn't very good. I don't know. Yeah, Flaxen Intruder strikes me as maybe not the best, but at the same time, it could be... 
Like it could be a card that's good for like a green aggro deck or a green mid-range deck against control decks that want to be using like artifacts and enchantments to gain value. Like if you're if you saw if you bring this in out of the side, right? It's more like it kind of reminds me of of the classic like two drop that it also scales well late into the game. Like a growth chamber guardian. If you play it on turn two, it's great. If you play it on turn eight, it's great. Um, like Flaxen Intruder is kind of like that because if all else, like if you have a good curve in your opening hand as like some kind of green mid range or aggro deck against um, against a control deck, and you play Flaxen Intruder turn one, okay, it can it, you know it can attack for whatever, uh, and then if they play like I know Search for Ascanta is rotating, but like Search for Ascanta would be a potential thing that you'd be interested in destroying with this, and then on the other hand, you know the the disadvantage of putting a card like that into your sideboard or, or siding it in would be. If you draw it like late in the game when the opponent has controlled your board and you're you're both kind of out of gas, but their draws are much better on average than yours, you can play the welcome home side as like an instant threat. Yeah, that's true. I think one thing that kind of strikes me as interesting with these ones is that they make like regrowth effects much better than they normally would be. Yeah, uh, like you know, Tamio or something. Like, because the fact that you essentially get two cards back by by bringing the creature back from your graveyard late game, I think that's going to be very impactful. So, like Tamio in particular might be a great great card to uh, to combine with these. Yeah, regrowth and and bounce as well. So it's a fairy. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting that you can kind of like you can actually if you cast the the, the adventure part, you can kind of put your creature on layaway. Like, it's actually safe there from discard and stuff like that. Because, like, Thought Erasure is such a heavily played card, right? That if you put, like, if you do Lovestruck Beast on turn one, if you do the 1-1 one, one human, okay, great, you've paid green for a 1-1. One, one. That's not great. But now your 3-3 three, three is safe from being, or your 5-5 uh, five, five is safe from being discarded. That's actually a great point. I hadn't thought about that at all. Mm. Okay, so maybe... Maybe we'll do it by mechanic actually, and maybe we'll just have a look at some of the other, uh, some of the other adventure cards as we go here. There's a lot of black ones, so there's a there's a knight theme in the set. So we have a few knights here with um, with adventure. So I'll, I'll read Smitten Swordmaster. I think this card is really good. So Smitten Swordmaster is one and a black for a human knight. Uh, it's a two one with lifelink. So ordinarily not very playable unless your knight deck is is a really hard up for playables but then we have the adventure which is a single black mana for a sorcery adventure uh and you gain x life and each opponent loses x life where x is the number of knights you control so you know a reasonable two drop that if again if you top deck it later in the game and you have a full board this is a way to give reach to a type of deck that doesn't normally have reach and we've seen how powerful that is with uh, Soren from in the Vampires deck at the moment. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, the, yeah, I really like this design where, the, yeah, this is kind of like neither neither side is like undercosted for the price, but the combination of having both abilities might make the card playable. Like, that's exactly the the spot I think they're trying to hit with with this mechanic, and I think that does it very well. Yeah. And I think another card that does it reasonably well, although maybe not quite as well is another one foulmire knight that's uh again uh black it's a zombie knight this time single black mana for a one one death touch so something that's generally not played and constructed but could see some play maybe sideboard or whatever 
and then the adventure is profane insight two and a black instant you draw a card and you lose one life so this is actually very similar to you draw two cards and you lose one life it's just that one of the cards is always a one one death touch yeah this card this card's good i uh, when we were talking about this card originally off mic i uh, i thought this card was absolutely busted because i thought the the adventure also only cost black one black mana and i thought this card is absolutely insane it's a little fairer at a at three mana for the draw card lose life yeah what's the what's the one i can't remember the name of the card that's black black target player draws two cards and loses two life uh knight's whisper is that what it's called? something like that um i think that might be one of the black sorry yeah 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 i think yeah that's the one i'm thinking of um okay and then we have uh speaking of regrowth effects we have order of midnight so this is a, again a human knight uh one on the black two two flying Order of Midnight can't block, and the adventure is one on a black return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So just a raise dead here. Basically, this you know this card is similar-ish to Gravedigger, but it has flying and it can't block. Yep, and if anyone's keeping track, we're not seeing any black vampires in this set, it looks like. So these cards, even though they probably would be good with the new Sauron, uh, don't look like, doesn't look like that card's going to get to see much play with these. No, unfortunately not. Uh, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. <laughs> Depends on your yeah, sure. on the vampires deck. But we we do have you know the the makings of a knight deck here shaping up. I think definitely like all of these have been knights, right? So that's that seems very strong already. Yeah. Uh, back to green. We've got Beanstalk Giant, six and a green for a creature giant. Uh, its power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control, and then the adventure is two and a green it's a fertile footsteps two and a green for a sorcery search your library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield then shuffle your library so standard kind of three mana ramp spell that you know puts a land into play this one also again kind of draws you a card quote unquote in the beanstalk giant itself you won't be playing it anytime soon after that uh worth noting is that the land does come into play untapped that's actually important, right? Because it like it essentially takes a, a mana off the cost of the Beanstalk Giant if you can play them both the same turn. Yeah. So it costs nine mana rather than ten, which is a big difference. You know, late late in the game, it, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to be able to do both same turn in a green deck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're a green deck that's ramping. Oh yeah, which by definition you are. <laughs> this is a ramp card. <laughs> ramp card, kind of, I guess. Is uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is a ramp card, but. Who knows if it's any use. It's a Rose Thorn Acolyte. It's a two and a green for an Elf Druid. Uh, two, three, and tap add one mana of any color. So, of course, this normally would not really be constructed playable. But we have the Adventure. So, it's a Sorcery again. Seasonal Ritual. Single green mana. Add one mana of any color. But then, of course, you do, again, technically draw a card by having this uh, go into exile and be castable as a creature later. Uh, overall, this is maybe like one one number somewhere away from constructed playable but i think it's an interesting option it's actually so like that looks pretty useless right the the add a mana of any color yeah unless you're doing something degenerate like storm or something like that yeah which still wouldn't play this but i think it's actually although there is thousand year storm in standard right so i don't know true but uh but i think this actually will be important for decks like bant decks that are trying to like cast a fairy uh, on turn three because the mana is going to be like a little bit worse a little bit slower uh, this time around so like being able to filter your mana in the early turns actually makes it a lot easier to play like a blue white card in your in your base green deck whereas like even even last time last season in bant 
decks we it was quite hard to play like a turn one Llanowar elves into like a turn two to fairy for example you needed exactly you know breeding pool or temple garden to do it uh, obviously this doesn't ramp you a mana so you can't do that but it might be useful if you're playing some kind of green xx deck that's color intensive in the other two colors this could actually be useful sometimes yeah definitely i could see it having applications and then but i think yeah as you say i think it's like most of the time yeah you can probably just protect yourself from a totsies or something but who would even bother totsiesing this card if they saw your hand <laughs> yeah and actually when you when you mentioned teferi you kind of you can kind of get your get your card but even though you're you're not technically losing a card uh with this because the card kind of goes back into your hand uh you can get the raw card back from teferi if if it bounces a card yeah i don't know man team or thousand year storm this is uh this counts as two spells for thousand year storm you need to start going off yeah why not okay we've got animating fairy this one this one seems interesting to me it's a two and a blue for a fairy with flying it's a two two that's not very good it's windrake however the adventure is bring to life two and a blue Target non-creature artifact you control becomes a zero-zero artifact creature. Put four plus one plus one counters on it. So it's, I mean, it depends on your deck. Obviously, if you have a lot of artifacts and other synergies, then it could be good. If you do not, then obviously it's not. Um, it's all I want to do is uh, is make Parhelion two into a creature with this. <laughs> yeah, it keeps all its keywords and things, right? Yeah, it would just be a four-four that makes two angels every time it attacks which is pretty good yeah that sounds pretty good i mean you still have to get it into play in the first place which is difficult mm, that yeah that's a good point <laughs> uh this this card is similar to what was the name of that card the big scissors and soul artifact oh yeah yeah but it's three mana which is a big big difference yeah it's three mana and the artifact is uh one one smaller so it, it is a big difference, but I think that card was way too strong. So uh, it makes sense to scale back on this one here. And of course, this one also has the ability to be a 2-2 flyer after that. So um, but yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. If they're, like, they're, There's a lot of artifacts in this set, so it could be something that is uh, used. Uh, so yeah, like I'm not, I'm not discounting this one. Like I think you would obviously have to build your deck around artifacts and like... In this case, playing the uh, the non-adventure half, just the 2-2 flyer, is obviously going to be the complete fail case. You're basically never going to want to do that if you put this card in your deck. But the option is still there. So if there is a deck where the, the adventure half is playable, then you know it's still better than it not being there, right? It's still another option. Yep, certainly. So that's adventure. I think that's all we have for adventure at the moment. Uh, the next mechanic is food. Delicious, delicious food. This has got to be one of the silliest mechanics they've ever printed. Yeah, um, it's, it makes for some very awkward wording because food is a subtype of an artifact. So that, that, that's what that's what food is. They they have uh, codified food into the the rules of magic, and it turns out that food is a an, an artifact token which you can pay two mana, tap and sack to gain three life. So similar enough to like a clue token or i guess kind of similar to treasure but uh yeah this this one just gives you life so obviously straight up just not as good there however it does seem that they're building a few synergies into the set for food to be useful uh the aforementioned fairy just one of those but uh yeah it has led to some funny funny wording on some creatures here as uh, or some abilities here as of course the word food 
is an uncountable noun in English. However, uh, food tokens are certainly countable. And uh, they don't say food tokens on cards. They just say foods. So we have the creature Sapphire here that has the ability to sacrifice two foods, draw a card. Yeah, it's very funny. I mean, you can't have foods is is still grammatically correct in English because you could talk about different types of cuisine, right? And then you could say foods. Yes, that is true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's that's yeah, obviously a different context, but it still sounds very funny in this context. Yeah, it, it is very funny, and I think the uh, we'll, we'll go for the uh, well. Let's let's do a package of kind of three cards here, culminating in the in the in the planeswalker uh, to talk about food. So first up, we have Gilded Goose. It's a single green mana for a bird. It's an O2 with flying. When it enters the battlefield, create a food token, and you can play pay one on a green tap, create a food token. And you can tap, sack a food, add one mana of any color. So we basically have Birds of Paradise here, but it can only do the ability to add mana as long as you have a food token. Um, so you get the first one for free. After that, you're going to have to create food tokens some other way, which thankfully the goose does have that built in, but you have to spend mana on a turn to do that. So basically you could only ramp with this every other turn. Uh, yeah, I, th I think this is still just really good. Um it's a step down from Llanowar Elves, but that's okay. Yep, agreed. Um, this card is, like, I think very well designed. I, I actually really like it because Birds of Paradise is probably, even though I like old kind of powerful cards, Birds of Paradise is one that I've often thought about. It's like, would I like to see that in Standard? I think it is just a bit too strong. Like, it, it's on a different level from Llanowar Elves, certainly. And I think this is a really nice way of doing it where you can still build the same kind of splashy decks, but they're, they're not going to just be as base powerful. And it's kind of cool that, as well as that, you're you're integrating this mechanic with kind of uh, with with you know other stuff in the set, and you know it'll be the fact that you can create food tokens and do other stuff with them like means this card will be a lot better late game when you already have all your mana than a Birds of Paradise would be. So you know it has it has its own little upside as well. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that kind of jumped to my mind immediately is just the idea that. You know, because we're not going to talk about all the cards today, but there are seems to be quite a few cards that make food tokens, and um, just the very the, the base fact that they are two mana gain three life automatically makes red and aggressive decks, I and mean, specifically red decks, but aggressive decks in general much worse. If you have some kind of a a value green green deck that's generating food tokens. Those are going to buy you a lot of time against uh, aggressive decks, especially burn decks where essentially every single food token is countering one of their burn spells. Yeah, and if you think about this late game, like Gilded Goose, right? If you're in some kind of like mid-rangey green deck and you, know, you have a bunch of mana and stuff, late game, this card just says like, spend five mana, gain three life every single turn, like Gilded yeah. Goose, which is insane. Like, like, yeah, no one's beating that, you know, if they're trying to just clock you with lightning strikes and stuff. Yeah, so to go along with the goose, we've got the egg. It's a golden egg, two mana artifact. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. So it is literally an egg, uh, like Prophetic Prism or many other eggs before it. Uh, you can play one tap, sacrifice golden egg, add one mana of any color. And two tap, sacrifice golden egg, you gain three life. So it has the ability of food as well. So this is just kind of a quite a synergistic card here. I think it fills a lot of gaps and i don't think it's crazy to that we would see this in constructed it also is a food itself actually so it can be sacrificed for food related things as well yeah that's great i mean two mana cantrip artifacts generally 
you know, not always see play, but they always have the ability to. Like, no one was really playing like prophetic prism or whatever in standard. But, you know, yeah, this is this is the fact that it ramps you a little bit after the draws the card. Yeah, I think that's probably enough of a push uh, that, that it'll see some play. Like, I could imagine this in like um, some kind of five color deck, something like that, like a Niv Mizzet deck or something to help your mana. Yeah, it doesn't actually ramp you, it, it just fixes. It's because you have to pay. Oh, sorry, it just fixes. Sorry. Oh, I misread it. Yeah, still. Still okay. I mean, there's a lot of. There's a lot of things going on here. There's enough things going on that it could be useful to some deck at some point. And then finally, for the piece de resistance of the food, uh, we have Oko, Thief of Crowns. So it's a new planeswalker. He's uh, he's a fairy. No, he's a, he's a fae. I don't know. He's something. Uh, he's a trickster. He's sneaky. Uh, he's got Garuk under his control. It's uh, one green blue for legendary planeswalker Oko. Comes in with four loyalty. That is a lot. He plus twos up to six loyalty. Create a food. Not great. Uh, plus one. Target artifact or creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elk creature with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. And then minus five. Exchange control of target artifact or creature you control and target creature and opponent controls with power three or less. So at the base level here, it doesn't protect itself very well, but has a high loyalty. I think the ability to plus two up to six and have a food token in play, and then have the ability next turn to minus five, still be alive at one loyalty and exchange control of your food with their kind of best three power thing is pretty strong. There's a lot here. The fact that the the second ability is a plus is what jumped out at me straight away as being very surprising. Like if you asked me, if you gave me this card without the costs uh, and, and asked me to like guess what the loyalty would be, I would definitely guess that the second ability would be minus one rather than plus one. I think it's very pushed that the second ability pluses here um, because it lets you do things like you can go turn one Gilded Goose, turn two uh, Oko, and then you can make your zero two goose into a 3-3 three, three. so from then the next turn on the you're now protecting protecting oko with a 3-3 three, three. so you've ended up with a, on turn two a planeswalker and a 3-3 three, three on board which is like just seems ridiculous and a, a five loyalty planeswalker at that yeah that's very true you can also do things like if there's nothing nothing threatening on board or just literally nothing else on board you can play oko plus to make the food token then next turn plus up to seven to turn the food token into an elk, right? You can do that. Yeah, target artifact becomes yep. an elk. Yeah. It's going to make it a little tougher to play. If this card's popular, like, are you going to want to put stuff like, you know, um, like Bolas' Citadel in your deck? <laughs> like, your opponent just plays this and turns it into a 3 3 after you spend all that mana on it. Enjoy your elk. Yeah. So it's also weird the fact that it doesn't give it a, a counter or anything for memory issues. Like, you just have to remember that the thing is now a 3 3 for the rest of the game. Yeah. That is kind of weird. I'm sure there'll be some. I'm sure there'll be a token. You can just put the token over the card. Yeah, yeah, that that actually makes sense. I also thought that about. I think this in in the case of the adventures, this is literally just a, a templating thing to save text. But I thought that like when you put uh, when you adventured a card, did the instant or sorcery half that you would put like a verse counter on it while it was in exile or something like that, and then you would it would be like any you know if you have something with a verse counter in exile, you can cast it. Or, you know, or an adventure counter, some kind of new kind of counter or something like that. Yeah. But I think they literally probably just couldn't fit that on the cards. So that is also another weird thing, the memory issue. It's kind of weird to see two separate difficult memory problems in the same set on in a newly designed magic set. Yeah, that is kind of weird. But 
you you definitely you can see that the <laughs> the adventure cards are really pushed for space so it makes sense i guess yeah absolutely and like it's this is just i think this is actually shows that the the design teams are still you know after 25 years still really trying to push the boundaries of magic design and try new things and you know maybe this type of design is something that five years ago they would have said no it's too messy we don't want to do it but now they're willing to do it just to in the in the spirit of trying to keep magic fresh and new and give players new exciting things so i applaud that you know yeah i definitely agree all right moving on to the third and final mechanic from the set although we do have a couple of more things to talk about kind of more themes than mechanics uh we've got adamant so adamant is a ability word yeah ability word and it is related to spending mana uh of the same color so as an example card here we've got slaying fire which is two in a red for an instant deals three damage to any target so obviously not great however adamant if at least three red mana was spent to cast its spell it deals four damage instead and that is always the number it's three of the mana even though you know adamant is in other colors of course um it's always three of that color of mana upgrades the spell into a new spell or an extra effect there better be uh an adamant card called stand and deliver why no adam adamant adamant uh no whoosh never mind okay <laughs> all the viewers are gonna love that joke listeners never mind <laughs> okay hold on wait, wait i'm googling you know adamant the 80s novelty singer oh yes 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 i didn't know yeah, the song right. called stand and deliver though i'm not familiar with his oeuvre it's uh, i wouldn't bother to be honest all right, okay, fair enough. Uh, but his career, the culmination of his career was me making that joke, which nobody got. So. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, well, I'm sure he's absolutely delighted to get a mention now in 2019. So, yeah, shout outs to him. Yeah, what friend you... of the show. Um, Slaying fire seems great. I don't know. It's uh, as we said, I think Mono Red is going to have a bit of trouble in this set with all these all these foods lying around and everything. But this is exactly the type of card that. They need to keep this deck competitive, uh, especially after releasing a challenger deck and stuff before rotation for Mono Red. I think I think it's it's nice for them to just give them just little little boost to the deck after rotation when Mono Red is losing so much. And yeah, like this is just just yeah, what like Char I guess is the closest thing three mana for four damage. So in Mono Red, this is just like a strictly better Char essentially. Yep. Uh, for one more, I think we we only have one more official adamant. Um preview here there might be two mm, not too sure but there's there's definitely one more here anyway it's a silver flame ritual three and a white for a sorcery put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and adamant if at least three white mana was spent to cast a spell creatures you control gain vigilance until end of turn so here the fact that it's four mana means that it can still be played in like a two color deck probably uh slaying fire really wants to be only in mono red Whereas Silver Flame Ritual could be in like some kind of black white knights deck, red white knights deck, something like that. Um, to be honest, I don't think that the adamant bonus is really all that good here. Uh, I think this card is probably just outside the realm of playable at four mana for for an anthem. Mm, yeah, I mean it's uh, like Unbreakable Formation is strictly better than this, right? Yeah, yeah, that is true. But one day Unbreakable Formation will rotate and Silver Flame. Very true. Yeah will have its day no but uh just in general talking about the adamant mechanic i guess this is a push towards monocolor which as we know from the announcements uh 
could be relevant coming up. Of course, we are going back to Theros in the very next set after Eldraine, Theros Beyond Death. So Devotion could very easily be making a return. So you might already be incentivized to be making your decks monocolored. Um, and in that case, the adamant bonus is just always going to be there for you. And it'll be uh, just an overall positive thing. In addition to that, we do also have the, the Elemental Knights from uh, M20 who need three of their colored mana. So if your deck is interested in those and is capable of casting those, then perhaps your deck might also be interested in an adamant spell. Yeah, there's a couple other plants there as well. <clears throat> Dread Presence and things like that. That uh, means that we're, you know, if Devotion does come back, those decks are, gonna, are already going to have a couple little goodies to play. Yeah. So then a few more kind of themes of the set. Artifacts and enchantments seem to be a big theme of the set. Obviously, this is a set that it's inspired by fairy tales. Uh, magical items are a thing in all kinds of fairy tales. So just as an example, I'll read out the splashiest artifact that we have so far. We've got the Circle of Loyalty. Four white white for a legendary artifact. It's a mythic. This spell costs one less to cast for each knight you control. Creatures you control get plus one plus one. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. And then three and a white tap, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. So this seems really good, obviously, in a knight's deck. Um, it's going to be cheap most of the time because it's going to cost one less for each knight you control. So you're probably looking to cast this turn... Turn three, turn four with some regularity, and then it's an anthem plus it's uh, it's going to be getting you a knight token every turn. And of course, these two twos are actually three threes while this is in play. Yeah, this this card just seems really nice in general. A lot of legendary spells are rotating with Dominaria, which is unfortunate. Like you won't have a combo between this and History of Banalia in standard, but still, I'm sure it's it's very very easy to make this very powerful. Yeah, that would <laughs> that sounds insane to be honest with that in history. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of glad. You get three, happening. three, 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 three threes, and then everything attacks as like a, a five four. Uh, no, it'd be a six five. Oh, a six, a six five. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh no, wait, five four, five four. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, yeah. So seems cool. Seems like a lot of knight incentives already. We're looking at probably Black White or Mardu as the Brawl deck is. The Brawl decks are on Arena right now to be played for Freezies, and you can get some cards from it as well. So the Brawl, the the Knights Brawl deck has the uh, the Mardu Commander and uh, all caring about Knights. A lot of fun to play. Uh, and one of the other equipments or artifact that is in that is the Crystal Slipper. It's a one and a red for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus zero and has haste. And then it has equip one. So very cheap equip cost here. It basically gives all your creatures for the rest of the game kicker of one for haste and plus one plus oh. Yeah, seems pretty great. Could be good in some kind of like big red style deck where you're playing like big beefy dudes or or maybe some kind of red green deck um, where you get a lot of a lot of mileage out of hasting things in. Or like if you think about something like um, Nullhide Ferox, that's, you know, hard to target as well. If you can put a Crystal Slipper on your Nullhide Ferox, swing in for seven. Sounds pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. I think any equipment that gives haste, you always have to uh, keep a look at, uh, keep an eye on, because it can be very powerful. Yeah. Um, I think we actually don't have all that many enchantments at the moment. We have, but there is a hint at it, because, like, the 
the Esper Commander from Brawl uh, references artifacts and enchantments. And then we have this card here, All That Glitters, which is uh, one on white for an enchantment aura. And enchant creature, it gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. Which one is that, sorry? It's a... Uh... Oh, uh, All That Glitters. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah, could be a thing. I don't know. It's a, These type of cards, I think, are very hard to judge in a vacuum. The fact that this only gives power and toughness and, and doesn't give any other bonus i think you would have to you would have to have a lot of artifacts and enchantments for that to be playable yeah i mean in terms of limited i'm like looking at this card it's an uncommon that kind of feels to me like that there's there's an an archetype that this is supposed to go in with a bunch of artifacts and enchantments and it's not just something you throw in randomly which also leads me to believe that there are probably just enough there's just enough stuff in standard to like make this a deck even if maybe this card is not part of the deck, like maybe that's not what the deck wants to be doing. But then you also have, um, where is this card? Oh yeah, Cor- Corridor Monitor. It's a one and a blue for a one four construct artifact creature. When it enters the battlefield, untap target artifact or creature you control. Like untapping an artifact can be very, very strong. Very true. One shot someone with Bolas of Citadel and 20 food tokens. Exactly. Uh, we've got Shambling Suit, three mana for an O3 construct. Its power is equal to the number of artifacts and/or enchantments you control. And I mean, just n- not to mention that obviously food food tokens are artifacts. So you know you could potentially be amassing a bunch of artifacts here. And right, right next to that, we've got here Shine Chaser. It's one white blue for a fairy. It's a one-one flying vigilance. Gets plus one plus one as long as you control an artifact, and plus one plus one as long as you control an enchantment. So like there, there really has to be a a critical mass of artifacts and enchantments for a card like that to work. Yeah, it can be very strong if that deck comes together. Like that is a very powerful set of abilities. Yeah. All right. Are there any other cards that stand out to you here? I don't want to. We don't want to go through all the cards. Um. I guess we could talk about like the the other mythics. I don't know, Garak and uh, and Rankle. Do you want to talk about them? Yeah. Let's talk about Garak first. All right. Cool. We have. Yeah. You, uh, you go ahead. Garak here, big angry man. He's um heavily featured in the throne of eldraine uh cinematic i guess you would say the the trailer the animated trailer that they produced for throne of eldraine which i was really pleasantly surprised to see because i thought that that would just be a one-time thing for war of the spark but if they're going to be doing that for every every set from here on out that's that's really cool yeah definitely i think the war of the spark one was so well received that even if it was planned as a once-off they they may have changed their minds at that point and, and decided to stick with it because yeah, I, I I really like that previous trailer too. Yeah. All right. Well, here we have Garuk, Cursed Huntsman for Black Green. So another uh, six mana Black Planeswalker in standard that is, seems to be very powerful. Uh, so he has no plus abilities. Comes in with five loyalty, and he has a zero. Create two 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 Black and Green Wolf creature tokens with when this creature dies, put a loyalty counter on each Garuk you control. So that is the way that he gains loyalty by those wolves dying. He has a minus three, destroy target creature, draw a card. And a minus six, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus three, plus three, and have trample. Yeah, which busted six mana Black Planeswalker do you want to play? You have a, you have a lot of choices, as you said. <laughs> the, this design's really interesting. I don't think we've seen a Planeswalker like this before, have we? That has no plus abilities, but can still gain loyalty? I, I feel like we have at some point, but I'm not sh- I cu- couldn't say what it is. There's like... Gotcha, yeah. Isn't there a Sarkin? Sarkin the Mad or something like that? Or could he just not gain loyalty at all? Mm, I don't know, to be honest. I'm not a Sarkin expert. <laughs> yeah, Sar- Sarkin the Mad cannot gain loyalty. Uh, or he doesn't have any plus abilities. 
No, yeah, because he, he just, there's no way for him to gain loyalty. He can, he can only minus. He comes in with seven loyalties, five mana. Um, yeah, so he just can never gain loyalty. So yeah, Garuk might be the first the first one to be able to do that. It's, uh, it's really cool. I think it's great. It's The card is very strong. Like um, the minus three only being able to kill creatures and not planeswalkers is the only sort of way they haven't completely pushed him, to be honest. And that could be a relevant factor. Like you do want your six mana planeswalker to be able to deal with other planeswalkers uh, in the current kind of standard environment. But everything else is just insane. Like he comes down on five, you create two wolves. Like, 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 how do they deal with that? Like, they have to be able to kill him cleanly because they can't just like attack him and trade and gain him a bunch of loyalty through that. If you set it up so that you can play him, uh, make the wolves, and then the next turn like sacrifice one of the wolves to uh, to a sack outlet, then he can immediately just ultimate and get you the emblem. Uh, like that, it's just, it all just seems very difficult for the opponent to deal with. Obviously, if you just play him onto a board where the opponent has a single creature and kill it and draw a card, you're way ahead. Like card just seems very very good to me yeah even even if you think about like a situation let's say where your opponent has like two four fours on the board and you play garrick like and, and they attack you know you, you you zero you make your wolf tokens and, and then they attack him with both of those you just double block on on one of the one of the four fours they trade garrick gets hit down for for four and goes to one then puts gets two extra loyalty and then next turn you just zero again make two more wolf tokens like what what are you going to do in that situation? And even if you want to be super conservative, just uh, just block, just chump block, you know, and then gain two loyalty. He goes up to seven, and then he can uh, he can ultimate the very next turn, and then you know you've cashed that in. Then you have that emblem for the rest of the game, and even he'll still be on one loyalty. Then even uh, maybe you have some other ways to protect him. Yeah, like there's definitely spots, you know, where where Garrick isn't going to get you out of it, like where you know Liliana might do a better job or whatever, but. There's also spots where this card just gets you like, like if the board's at parity, this card is is better than Liliana, I think, right? Because like if on an empty board, plusing with Liliana and just making a zombie doesn't actually do all that much that turn. But making two wolves that also threaten the Garrick ultimate the next turn is really scary. Yeah, that's just a lot of power and toughness to put on the board. So I think Garrick is definitely very strong and, and should see some play. I I guess like the the two cards are similar but different enough that. You probably want them in different spots or slightly different like metagame calls would, you know, if there's different metagames going on, you would probably want um, a different mix of those Planeswalkers in your deck. Um, and of course, Garak being able to choose which creature he's going to kill and also, you know, reliably draw a card when he does it is is pretty strong as well. Um, I mean, just on the face of it, it seems to me like Liliana is stronger for controlling decks and Garuk is stronger for like mid-rangey type decks um but i could yep. see i could see both being played in in either one to be honest yeah no i agree with that i think people playing liliana in a lot of um uh, in a lot of decks that they shouldn't was was a common feature of last standard and now it's like that slot seems much better filled by garrick yeah okay our next mythic up here is rankle master of pranks i love this guy it's a he's a legendary fairy rogue Two black black for a 3-3 with flying and haste. Whenever he deals combat damage to a player, choose any number. Each player discards a card. Each player loses one life and draws a card. Each player sacrifices a creature. This guy is awesome. Yeah, I think this card's pretty insane. It's like, the rate is pretty good on the body. Like, for four mana, you're, you're happy with that. And, like, it's just a 
thing like of course you can always just choose the combination or lack thereof of abilities that suits you the best so like i don't know if you're in some kind of priest of the forgotten gods deck you know mardu or black white or something that has sacrifice out outlets you know you can just have each player sack a creature you know and then you can always just make the best decision on when to make people discard and when to make people draw as well and also it, it happens in the order printed on the card so if you choose both discard and draw both players will discard a card and then draw a card yeah uh interesting combos with this card like you said priest of forgotten gods kind of combos in the sense that it's a sacrifice deck uh chandra the three mana chandra makes the two elemental tokens curves nicely into this um obviously the other kind of cards that are good to sacrifice already in standard footlight fiend um what's the other thing the the one the two one that comes back from the comes back from oh um gutter bones gutter bones yeah gutter bones yeah 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 so if you can get good sacrifice fodder for this, it's pretty good at taking out your opponent's creatures because it's also, you know, it's, it's a 3-3 flying, so it should be able to get in on that turn, hopefully. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, when it suits you, you can draw a card. Uh, each player loses one life as well. You know, if you're being aggressive and the opponent happens to be on one after you've hit them with Rankle, you can make them die. That is a good plan, I would suggest it. Yes strong making your opponent die the magic is uh overpowered. <laughs> yeah too strong i would say <laughs> uh do you want to talk about any of the commanders from the brawl decks because these will be playable in standard um we can none of them looked that strong to me did uh did you think any of them looked particularly good i think that the esper one and the jund one look pretty good I mean, we already talked about the original one, Cullen or Tulane, however you say his name, uh, the five mana two four vigilance. That that seemed like just outside the realm of playable. And then these other ones here kind of seem good to me. And I've played them a little bit in the brawl decks as well, and they seemed really good. So the uh, the Esper one is a Layla Artful Provocateur. So it's one white, blue, black for a fairy warlock. It's a two three with flying, death touch, and lifelink. Other creatures you control with flying get plus one plus oh. Um, whenever you cast an artifact or enchantment spell, create a one one blue fairy creature token with flying. So like there's already the bones of a blue white flyers deck in standard that can be very good. So if you maybe slow it down a little bit, change the focus, throw in some artifacts, whatever, uh, you could be onto a winner with this, I think. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like four mana for a two three is not great, but it has flying, so you're already like if you look at Rankle, Rankle is four mana for a three-three flying. Um, obviously, this is three colors, so it's much more difficult to cast. But the the Death Touch and the Life Link really pay off there uh, on this card. And I think if there are a lot of cheap artifacts, which kind of I'm getting the vibe that there will be, like we have the Witch's Oven as a one mana artifact sacrifice outlet. So we could be triggering a lot of. Uh, a lot of getting a lot of fairy tokens here, which you know, once they come into play, and Alela is still on the battlefield, they're two ones rather than one ones, and that that adds up super quick. Yeah, definitely. No, I could I could see this being playable. It's a nice uh, combination of abilities, and you know, if your deck can um, can accrue some nice value, it, it could be worth it. Yep. Uh, and then here, the the Jund commander, which is a dragon, a dragon noble, pretty sweet. Uh, we have. Corvold, Fey Curse King, for two black, red, green. It's a 4-4 with flying. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, sacrifice another permanent. 
whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one plus one counter on Corvold and draw a card. So you get to trigger this every turn if you're attacking, and it gets bigger and bigger over time. So it ends the game pretty quick. Uh, drawing a card is really good. Uh, I this this is the brawl deck that I played the most, so I really love this guy. And if you can have a lot of like say food tokens lying around, then you're not very sad to be sacrificing them to Corvold's ability. And also when you look at uh, other cards like uh, like we were mentioning Rankle. If you sacrifice a creature to Rankle's ability and you have Corvold on the battlefield at the same time, you still draw a card because it's anytime you sacrifice a permanent. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I could see this being good. It's like, yeah, you got to remember, even though it says 4-4 four, four on the card, it attacks as a 6-6 six, six the first time it attacks. So it is pretty huge. Yeah, like the... the uh, hold on, I've lost the card. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, the the ability is not optional so you have to do it when it comes in and when it attacks you have to sacrifice another permanent so you do always get the the plus one plus one counter of course the the worst case scenario with this card is that you just play it kind of raw on turn five with absolutely nothing else on the battlefield and you have to sack a land uh and then you get your five five and draw a card and let's say they kill it in response or kill it on their turn whatever that's not great but you did at least you know cycle one of your lands in play i guess yeah, it's, it's not the best, but, you know, it's not nothing. Very true, very true. Um, I don't know, I, I think this guy is I think this guy is uh, is up there for standard. I'm, I'm into it. John Foods deck. Yeah, I could see it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's good stats for, for the casting cost. Another card that I was very impressed with in Brawl uh, is a rare called Banish into Fable. I don't know if this would be good in standard. It's just so expensive, but it seemed quite good. So it's four white blue for an instant. When you cast this spell from your hand, copy it if you control an artifact, then copy it if you control an enchantment, and you can choose new targets for the copies. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. You create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. So if you can get the artifact and the enchantment, then you're paying six mana for three bounces and three 2-2s at instant speed. So even even with like two bounces at instant speed, this seemed very good in the Brawl event. Yeah, it's just so expensive. Yeah, I I think the metagame would probably have to be in a very specific place to want this. But, it, you know, it is any non-land permanent. So it can bounce. Back. Yeah, it could be a sideboard card. It can bounce your own stuff as well. Also, like, expensive instants with Teferi around are kind of hard to sell me on, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But at the same time, if you can get the copy, if you can get more than one... If you can get one or, or more casts of this on uh, on when when you cast it, um, even if you do it at sorcery speed, then you know you, you'll have multiple knight tokens that could potentially attack to fairy. Then the next turn, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, overall, I mean, six mana is is a high bar, but I think power level is there, and it could do kind of degenerate things. I don't know. I don't think the the creatures being knights makes much of a difference here because the um the knights are in Mardu in this set and Banished into Fable is obviously white blue so I don't know if that's going to come into anything but uh you know worth keeping in mind. Another card I probably wanted to talk about is Shimmer Dragon. It's a four blue blue for a dragon. It's a five six with flying. <coughs> as long as you control four or more artifacts, Shimmer Dragon has hexproof. And you can tap two untapped artifacts you control, draw a card. Seems like maybe control finisher, like nobody's playing counter spells anyway, so <laughs> its obvious uh, weakness is, is counter spells. Um, 
But if you are playing some kind of deck that has a lot of food hanging around, this is certainly a good payoff for that. You have a massive hexproof flyer to finish off the game with. And interesting to note that you don't have to sacrifice the artifact, so you're, you're not introducing vulnerability by using the draw card. You just have to tap them. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. It uh, reminds me of Ojitai a little bit, but obviously it's not as good and more expensive, but same fills the same kind of role in a deck. Yeah, agreed. Any Anything else that stands out to you that you'd like to talk about? Uh, I haven't really looked at these Brawl cards so much, so I don't really have any opinions on them, though the ones you mentioned do look sweet. Uh, in terms of other spoilers, I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered everything uh, that looked interesting to me. Yeah, there's a few minor things here, like the Piper of the Swarm, some kind of minor rat tribal. Midnight Clock seems pretty cool. Oh, uh, I know uh, we, we have only seen the black one so far, but the black land, Witch's Cottage, yeah. uh, is just interesting. So it's Witch's Cottage is a land swamp. Uh, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other swamps. When it enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target creature from your graveyard on top of your library. So this obviously isn't like super powerful on the face of it but just the fact that it's typed is like very interesting so it's like fetchable with fetch lands and stuff like that um obviously we don't have any fetch lands in standard that can get it but that's just always something to look out for it'll also trigger dread presence as a swamp and yeah like a, like enters the battlefield early but then enters later but get, and gives you some amount of value is like very strong so i would just i would look out for the rest of this cycle and i think we should take a close look at them and see if any of them seem standard playable like i'm not sure if this effect on the black one is enough to make me want to put it into a deck maybe just because you're limiting your options so much playing mono black you'll want it in the the dread presence deck if that exists but um yeah very interesting i think like it's similar to memorial to folly right which i think people have played a little bit here and there um yeah but that that gets you the card into your hand which is like a huge difference obviously yeah yeah that is true uh yeah back on top is not not nearly as good because it like effectively denies you a draw next turn kind of uh, yeah. but yeah as you say potentially interesting in in modern of course three or more other swamps is also a limiting factor um like shock lands uh do still count as swamps so if you have a you know two blood crypts and an overgrown tomb that you know that's fine you can you can do that um but this is you know then then you're wanting to get to four mana and and then you're getting back a creature for next turn so it seems to me that a deck that wants this in modern would be kind of a slow grindy deck like maybe jund or something like that um yeah and it's just so hard to justify just putting you know this this land in your deck uh, like in a three color deck like jund like that's only making black mana and it's not a basic land, still gets affected by Blood Moon and, and Field of Ruin and all that. Yeah, I definitely do think that Standard is potentially a, a more more feasible place for this to be played, but the fact that it is a Swamp is very interesting and worth remembering in the future. And again, as, as you say, this could be part of a cycle. We don't actually know yet. I, I mean, it seems to me like it would be part of a cycle. I can't imagine they'd just do a one-off card like this, but... Maybe, I don't know. So keeping our eyes eyes, eyes peeled for the, the rest of this cycle, if it is one, would definitely be a good idea um, because potentially very powerful effects. And who knows? We could have fetch lands in standard. Maybe so, yeah. Yeah, so I guess if we're, if we're done talking about cards for this week, then we'll be back, we'll be back with more um, previews next week. But Wizards also announced the next four sets, which is 
so strange because they were like so tight-lipped about everything until they announced Throne of Eldraine. Like we didn't know it was the latest that we ever had known nothing about a fall set. And then they finally announced Throne of Eldraine and it was literally just a name. And then they announced concept art and they showed us a card with no text, just a frame treatment. So we literally knew almost nothing about Throne of Eldraine until like a few days ago. And now they're announcing the next whole year of sets. It just seems super weird to me. But anyway, so the next four sets are Theros Beyond Death, uh, Ikoria, Lair of Monsters, Core Set 2021, of course, next summer. And then after that, we've got Zendikar Rising. So do you think there's any possibility that we have Fetchlands and Zendikar Rising? Mm, no, I don't think they're ever coming back to standard. No? No, I just think, I think they've pretty definitively not said but like implied that they just don't like what it does to the game in terms of like shuffling and and length of time and stuff like that maybe that's going to matter to them a little bit less now that uh that things are moving to arena but yeah i just don't i just don't see fetchlands and their current incarnation coming back to standard I, i think people just dislike them too much I mean, people love them for the value, but yeah, people dislike them for the gameplay. And like, it's it's well it's a well known fact that they actually make tournaments run longer. So yeah, exactly. So unless they've changed their focus enough to arena that they don't mind that, because enough enough of the gameplay will be happening on arena, then then I don't see it happening. Mm. I could see some kind of redesign, maybe of Fetchlands, where you don't have to shuffle somehow. You know, like it's a like like you name a land card. That, and, and reveal cards from the top of your deck, you know, until you see one and then you put them on the bottom or something. But that seems very clunky as well. Or it enters the battlefield and you name a basic land type and then it becomes that type. That could be cool. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. You could be you could be right there. Um, I mean, look, I think Landfall is almost a shoe-in to return. Landfall is a very popular Zendikar mechanic. But I think at the same time that when they went back to Zendikar for, for Battle for Zendikar, they, they in some ways defied expectations by not putting Fetchlands in that set um, in a way that they haven't done with something like Ravnica. So like each time we've gone to Ravnica now, we've been, we've been back three times and each time they've done the Shocklands. So they've created a very, very clear link between Ravnica and Shocklands. And I would be very surprised to see them break that in the future at all unless they want to do something radically different. You know, they've, they've created a clear expectation for players that Ravnica equals Shocklands. And I think before Battle for Zendikar came out, there was a bit of this expectation among players that, okay, look, we've just had five of the Fetchlands in Kanza Tarkir, so why don't we get the other five that were originally printed in Zendikar in this uh, return to Zendikar? And people were hyped for it, and then it didn't come. So they deliberately defied player expectations there, which... I don't know, that could go either way for this third trip back to Zendikar. It could go the way of, look, we defied expectations the last time, so we can kind of just do whatever the hell we want this time, and there are no expectations. Or we can do an about-face and stick the Fetchlands in, because when Zendikar Rising comes out, that's that's rotation one year from now, so uh, Ravnica will be rotating out, so there won't be any shocks in the format. So they, you know, they won't have that ridiculous uh, modern mana base that we had kind of last time very true so i don't know i think it's interesting and could happen i'm gonna put my money on it happening just because that's more exciting yeah, that's fair i can see that uh taros beyond death you excited for that Encha- enchantments obviously if there's an enchantment theme in this set that plays well with taros which should have an enchantment theme as well 
Uh, as we say, devotion plays well with adamant. Uh, not really, to be honest, but only only because I didn't play during Theros the first time around, so I don't really have a, a connection with it. Like I'm excited for it as I would be any other set, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't really know what the gameplay is like or anything apart from just seeing you know the couple of cards that ended up in modern and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I'm interested for it, but uh, but don't have a super strong connection to it. How about you? I am very excited because I love Theros. I love Greek mythology in general, and I started playing Magic when Theros block was just ending. So my my very first deck was a. Uh, journey into nick's intro deck the blue red one of course because i have taste and uh, no it was actually pretty terrible um yeah so i'm really excited for for this set i'm kind of sad that it's only one set i want to see i want to see more about the Theros underworld i want to see if gideon uh, gideon's death has had an effect on Theros. there's a lot of speculation that he will become the new heliod or some version of him will become heliod in the minds of the of the people on the plane and i think that's very very cool the like the the system of godhood there is awesome to me the creatures uh all greek mythology inspired um to be honest i can't i can't really think of any that they super missed in the original Theros block but i'm sure that there's plenty more uh greek mythology inspired creatures that they can do um yeah i am i am very very excited for the set awesome well that makes me excited too yeah and then we a man of uh, wealth and taste, of course. Yes. Uh, then we have Ikoria, Lair of Monsters, which is going to be an, the 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 new set in the lineup for next year. And that you know we don't really know anything about it other than Mark Rosewater said it will be um, obviously a monster themed set, giant monsters, and there's some kind of a build your own monster mechanic. So that obviously brought to mind the uh, un unset mechanic what was the unset from last time unstable yeah the unstable mechanic of like putting your creatures together like the left halves and the right halves yeah or like um before that they had the the meld creatures was that what they were called oh yeah meld meld would be awesome to bring back i think a lot of people liked meld but it was just a bit clunky and there weren't that many cards with it but i think they could either they could use meld or they could have some kind of meld redesign that would all that would be awesome yeah yeah, that would be sweet. So get ready to pay attention to all the cards in standard that say whenever a creature enters the battlefield or when you have a creature of power four or greater or whatever that mechanic is. Um, yeah. And then Corset 2021, everybody's favorite Planeswalker, Teferi-themed. Ugh. How? How? Why would they make this decision? Nobody likes Teferi. They're going to they're gonna do the same thing that they did with Chandra in this Corset, but the the teferis that they print in it are going to be well they're going to do one uncommon teferi that's going to be new and it'll be like really super awesome uncommon teferi uh it'll be like manowar on steroids and then the rare teferi is just going to be teferi time raveler reprinted and the next one is going to be teferi hero Hero of dominaria reprinted yep sounds like a good uh good environment (laughs) yep all right well that's kind of uh all the speculation we have for today and that's going to do it for our episode today yep all right well i'm very excited to see more of these previews from throne of eldraine if we haven't mentioned your favorite card or some card that you think that we should have mentioned that is a clear a clear front runner for throne of eldraine constructed then you gotta tweet at us you can tweet us at skullcrack uh, on twitter that's skullcrack spelled c-r-a-i-c 
or you can email us skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com and if you stay tuned after the outro music we'll get a little pre-tournament preparation report from Al for his uh, MCQ this weekend so thanks for listening in we'll be back next week bye bye see you guys Okay, today is the 5th of September. It is a Thursday and I am in the process of packing. Uh, packing for a trip to London. Uh, Dombry Raid. No, it's, that's the other podcast. Um, going to London uh, for uh, our exclusive Skullcrack Brexit update. Going to get all the latest all the latest updates of Brexit. Uh, for Bojo and the lads dead in a ditch um all that crack no actually i'm playing in a mcq um this is a modern mcq uh, held by axion axion game a- axion now i think yes let's say let's go with axion now uh, axion games uh, hosting you know, uh, a mcq over in uh, london sunset airport in sunset <laughs> it's basically in the airport uh, which is fantastic um well, yeah, so it's modern. Uh, for for, for the last few weeks, I guess I've mentioned on podcasts, I've been playing a lot of modern online. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Tron variants. Uh, I'm kind of settled on, well, basically, the night before uh, all the bands and unbands, uh, I was uh, playing Mono Green Tron with the with Great Karn, Great Creator, and, and the Karn Wishboard. Uh, other people were playing um, Leyline and the Voids in the, in the side at that point, but I was kind of sticking with just this kind of, you know, this kind of current great creator plan because I was anticipating Hogak being banned. Uh, I got my first 5 0 immediately before uh, the. So basically, yeah, the night before the bands came in. Uh, so I was hoping Modern wouldn't change too much, but now now it has and everything's different. Uh, I haven't gone 5 0 yet. I've got a whole load of 4 1s. The last league I played there I went 3 2. Uh, I suppose now, I feel like now because the format's opened up, there's more decks, there's more. I mean, it's just, the field is just wider. Uh, and I'll be playing against decks now that I haven't played against in a while. I've been playing against. Uh, uh, I've been playing against like the likes of uh, what you call it, um, like Infect um, and Neo Form and stuff like I haven't seen in, in, in a little bit. Uh, but then also, I guess in this league, the two, two matches I lost to were uh, Valakut and uh, Amelie Titan, which I guess yeah, they're they're, they're always their matchups I, I know are, are, are always pretty bad for me. Uh, their matchups we didn't see at all. Uh, they're, yeah, decks archetypes you haven't seen at all since uh, from from before the bands. Uh, so kind of, that's kind of what I'm up against. Um, I think I made some mistakes in both of those matches just there. I played. Uh, I think I could have done some some stuff better. Uh, a lot of you know tricky plays with Karn and the wishboard and all that. So uh, I have plenty of experience with the deck now. Uh, I'm pretty happy I can uh, outplay uh, opponents in uh, the mirror and such. Um, <laughs> so actually, so far, and I think I think Tron is absurd right now because. I mentioned it. I probably mentioned it on the podcast. I've been tweeting about this. It's now, for the third time today. Today was the third time I won on a mulligan to three. Uh, this time a mulligan down to 
Um, obviously, you handed seven cards, but I just kept uh, a tower of mine and uh, <laughs> an expedition map, and then just won from there. Uh, <laughs> the opponent got salty, which I mean, that's that's pretty understandable. That was game one. Then game two, I'm looking to four, and then uh, we're looking to a similar hand. I think it was a similar hand with a uh, current great creator, and then <laughs> then one there. It was a uh, it's, it's pretty absurd. Um, so I guess kind of the decks I'm most afraid of. Uh, well, I suppose yeah, I'm 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 afraid of big mana decks. Uh, I I can I mean I have Witchbane or board with the sideboard now, which I think is quite good against uh, Valakud. Uh, it, it, shuts, it shuts off after plan. Uh, you, know, you, you, can, you can easily you can easily stop their titans for attacking with um, uh, Staring Bridge. Uh, <laughs> Staring Bridge, by the way, uh, combos uh, with Bullet getting to tree. So uh, remember that. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Oh, yeah, when I looked at the tree that time, I was playing against uh, it was like a banned humans. It was like a no, it was like a banned humans deck with Stoneforge Mystic in it, and they had like a board of one ones. <laughs> I just <laughs> turn three, played Karn Great Creator, and just got in Staring Bridge, and then that was like game. <laughs> um, because uh, I had no cards in hand. But uh, anyway, um, the yeah, so afraid of those two, uh, the the, uh, two mana, the big mana decks. Uh, I haven't played against the uh, Urza Top Sword deck quite as much yet. I played against actually, I, I actually played. Modern in the shop on Wednesday. Uh, I got a local, local modern tournament there, and it was, oh, it was very, very busy. There was a lot of people there. Uh, the standard of play is quite high. Uh, I went 2 2 there. Um, I uh, Losing to uh, Nightfall and to um, a Green Black Rock variant. But, uh, no, sorry, I'm. <laughs> I'm. I'm. Sideboarding, sidetracking here. Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Urza, Thor, Urza Sword is what I play. I play against Urza Sword in the shop. Uh, I thought there was like some point I could interact and stop the combo with Welcome Dissip, but turns out there's not. Uh, I, was, I think I just need to understand the combo and the niche and the, you know, the bits and pieces of the combo and how to disrupt it and such, and kind of what they need for the combo to go off um, for uh, Thopter Sword. And the other one was. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll, the Stoneforge Mystic decks. I'm, I'm thinking, I think I'm fighting against the Stoneforge Mystic decks. Um, people tend to make a lot of mistakes against me or against Tron with the Stoneforge Mystic decks. Uh, Yo, sick play to current up on a, a Battle School. <laughs> It becomes a creature and the token dies. Pretty sick. And they can't do anything with it because you got Karn out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think, I mean, even though there are archetypes I'm afraid of, I mean, there are archetypes that just completely fold the Karn the, the Great Creator. Uh, I think having Karn the Great Creator, creator is absolutely absurd. Uh, I think when we, when me and Karan were, were talking about this deck first, um, we were both quite low on liquid metal coating, liquid, liquid metal coating. Karan mentioned he used it. It was like in a game he was winning anyway. Uh, the tournament at War Chest where I played this deck first, I hadn't used it at all. So my first tournament report with this deck, I hadn't talked about liquid metal coating. Uh, but now I'm just, I just realized how absolutely absurd it is because usually the, the usually the pattern of play is on turn if you if you, if you well if you Tron and turn three, um, you can play Karan Liberated and win. Uh, you can play Karn Liberated and be very, very favourite to win. Or you can play Karn Great Creator, uh, have three mana left over, go get your Liquid Metal Coating, um, play that, kind of take your opponent off the next turn or prevent your opponent from casting these spells the next turn. And a lot of the times you can you can you know, tap the Liquid Metal Coating, drop keep, switch off one of, the land, one of their lands and disrupt them so much that there's nothing they can do on your next Karn turn where you get to go get uh, Mike Sentladis and shut the game off. I had one game where I played Liquid Metal Coating, or I played Mike's Lattice and they killed Karn. 
uh, response. And then it was basically one of the only games I had where her Mike Santalis was in play for a number of turns. And there's so much ridiculous stuff with that when that card's in play that I didn't realize because yeah, obviously it turns makes all your makes all your cards um artifacts. So like you can you can I played against Burn and I um cast Ancient Stirrings and got a Tractos with it. And I was like, oh, because I, I didn't realize, like, I didn't even think of taking it. It was only because it's highlighted by Magic Online. I was like, oh yeah, I can take this because it's colorless. Then I was able to cast it off a tower and, and a power plant. Um, stuff like, uh, <laughs> I, I assume sometimes when my opponent's being tapped out, I was, I've been, if, I'm, if, I, if I know what my opponent's playing Force of Vigor and they've been tapped out, I've been reluctant to play Bikes Lattice because I'm thinking, oh yeah, because I might just get blown away by Force of Vigor. But then they can't discard, <laughs> they can't discard a green card to cast it when it's in play because, uh, <laughs> Cards aren't green, um, so I I can see. I mean, I, they're they're kind of little little kind of pieces of gameplay that I've only learned in the last. Even though I've been playing this deck for long for the last few weeks, I've only been picking these little things up over the last couple of days. Uh, I usually notice the little things that make make a difference in in the mirror and uh, some matchups. But um, overall, overall, I'm excited. Uh, we will, we will, we will. I will go over to London tomorrow. Have a, have a load of pints. Uh, meet all all the Magic players from all over the country. Uh, meet up with the with the with the UK crowd. Uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna mingle with communities. We're gonna figure out the uh, we're gonna figure out what's going on, and we're gonna figure out how to how to how to fix Brexit. Um, Brexit Brexit's gonna be gonna be all done. Um, and gonna be Bojo in the finals. Gonna carn the shit out of him. Uh, I'm gonna Michael St. Lattis, Michael, my, I'm gonna minus Karn and get. The backstop agreement from the sideboard and lock him out of the game. I'm gonna make him, make him wanna be dead in the ditch. Um, I, that's, <laughs> I, I was, I was hoping to end on a lighter note, um, but uh, I have not. Uh, the economy is ruined. Brexit's gonna ruin magic. Magic is dead. Uh, oh, but the, the Toronto Veldrain trader was pretty cool. <laughs>